Welcome to the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Nadia Dela Cruz, founder of the Wayne Dyer Wisdom Community on Facebook. And you can find the link to join that group and get all the details about this podcast at NadiaDelacruz.com. Now, today I have a very special guest joining me. He is no stranger to adversity. He was born to a teenage mother and a father who would later serve time in prison. His home life exposed him to violence, drugs, and poverty at a young age. At 15, he committed a crime that nearly cost him his life. Using this low point as an opportunity for change, he found a way to heal and break the cycle. This former army officer is now a happily married uh, father of two. He shares his philosophy for life in his new book, First Generation Father, How to Build a Healthy and Happy Home When You Come from a Broken One. Anthony Blankenship, thank you so much for joining me today. Nadia, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to share some laughs with you even before we got started. It's it's been a great experience. Yes, we have. (laughs) We have overcome some together. technical issues. Already, and we're we've still here. We've overcome obstacles together and stayed <laughs> we've been positive. Some stuff. I feel yes. closer to you already after having gone through that. Honestly, <laughs> we had some technical difficulties. They say you don't know a person until you. Yeah, they say you don't know a person until you see how they react under adversity. Right? Everybody's nice and polite under the ideal conditions. I mean, we haven't had our first fight yet. But, but but we did have our first challenge, so that's we something. Did. Oftentimes, a challenge turns into a fight. <laughs> We're here to talk about your book, First Generation Father. So let's let's lay some groundwork for this. Okay. What is a first generation father? How do you define that? Well, I'm glad you asked. So to me, I consider a first generation father any father who is um, present in their children's life and trying to be fully there for their child mentally, emotionally, physically, when they did not come from that environment themselves, right? Um, One thing I touch on early in the book is, in the title, the the title, you know, as you said so eloquently is, First Generation Father, uh, how to, um, how to, whatever the title is. What's the title of my book? (laughs) How to build a healthy and happy home. How to build a healthy and happy home when you come from a broken one. I wrote it, I swear. Um, But what I'm getting at is that phrase broken home is often, um, you know, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So you don't necessarily have to come from the trauma that I did where my mother and father were never married. Um, There was drugs. There was violence. My father had seven children with five different women. Uh, He would later do 10 years in prison. So all the mental and emotional trauma that is wrapped up in that, as you can imagine, that's not the only definition of a broken home. There are people who come from homes where, you know, they felt like their father or mother wasn't there for them emotionally. And that's very scarring as well. There are uh, people who came from divorced homes, which is very scarring. There are people who came from homes where the parents stayed together, but they saw an unloving and unhealthy relationship. So there's all sorts of definition of broken And anybody who's trying to consciously stop the perpetuation of that cycle within their own family is a first generation parent. Well, and I think Dr. Wayne Dyer is a great example of that. So I love that we met in the Wayne Dyer Wisdom community because 
I mean, Wayne Dyer grew up in an orphanage and he never knew his father. He definitely came from a broken home and yet he ended up being a father figure for so many. Um, that was a piece that I hadn't really identified because he felt like a father to me. He was the same age as my dad. Um, until one day one of my guests actually mentioned that. So when did you first discover Wayne Dyer? Uh, you know, I was in the army actually, and I had a book of quotes that I took with me when we were out doing what was called a field training exercise. Uh, I spent five years in the U.S. Army in field artillery, which is um, it's a pretty tough job. And I was around a bunch of tough and strong individuals, men. There are no women. I'm not even sure that women are allowed in that branch now, but uh, back then, definitely not. So, um, you know, there were a lot of strong and hurt men around me who oftentimes dealt with their hurt in unhealthy ways. And, um, you know, I saw that up close and I saw myself in them in a lot of different ways. It's funny because while I was in the army, my father was simultaneously in prison and there were a lot of similarities in our situation that, that a person may not necessarily see on the surface, but, um, there was a lot of self-discovery that I was going through and Dr. Wayne Dyer was a huge part of that. So I had a little book of his quotes and uh, I would take it with me out in the field, out in my little sleeping bag, like literally out in the dirt. And um, he's been a person who I've followed for years. And even when I started to try to write, um, listening to him talk about the writing process made me feel like it was something that I could do because before that, it felt like um, mm -hmm. something too far away. It felt like something too, like I wasn't qualified, right? Um, like I told you when we were joking around before, I'm not an author. I'm just a dude who wrote a book. And uh, listening to him describe his writing process and his definition of inspiration and being in spirit when he would talk about just writing and writing and writing and writing, I was like, I, I understand that. I'm, I'm doing that. Um, and it gave me kind of the courage to keep going and to pursue it all the way through to this finished product. And you did. Congratulations. The book is out. It's fantastic. I did. If I can remember the name of it, I did. <laughs> you got the first part, right? Yeah. The rest is details. Yeah, I got the first part. The me Yeah, it's about the message. And the message is, I want to be sure to say this, the message is so well received by women readers as well. Um, even on my Google reviews or my uh, Amazon reviews, um, over half of my reviews are from women who stress in the review. This book is not just for men. It's for anybody who's trying to heal from, uh, the mental, psychological, emotional trauma of their past and make sure that they don't perpetuate that past in their families. It just so happens to be that men more often don't have a space to really kind of like address those issues with somebody who yeah. one, they trust and in two respect, um, so I'm trying to kind of facilitate that. But the truths that are in the book um, cut through race, gender, socioeconomic status, um, sexual leanings, whatever. The, you know, the truth is the truth. I mean, I think you're opening a conversation that needs to be had. And I'm, I mean, I, I'm not really your target audience for this book. I, I'm not a first generation father. I don't come from a broken home. Um, I had it pretty easy growing up actually because there was a lot of stability in my home and I'm so grateful for that. But I, I, I'm also aware enough to see the wounds that happen um, 
when you don't feel that love or when you're sort of confused about what a father is or what a mother is because the the example that you had in your own life um, wasn't that. So yeah, and, and I think that if you're, particularly for women um, who are interested in reading this book, if even if it's it's to better understand their husbands. Exactly. Right? Because like you said, that definition of a broken home covers so many. I mean, yeah. maybe it covers most. Uh, sadly, maybe it covers most of us. Um, but that that means that, that this information isn't just for one type of person. It's for a lot of people or to help you understand someone that you love a little bit better. But what you said about you're just a guy who wrote a book, yeah. but isn't everybody. It's, I mean, wasn't Wayne, right? Yeah. Like yeah. these labels that we give ourselves are so important but they're also kind of arbitrary it's like true. who decides what you are you know like like i was saying in um i think it was the last facebook live i did in the group and i said i had this moment of inspiration so i wrote it down <laughs> it was make your own labels and then rise to meet them yeah i love it i really believe that right and you did that you're like ooh, an author like writing a book is <laughs> that true. something that's really within reach for me like how am i going to do that it's true. at some point you decided i can do this yeah i'm going to do this and then you figure out how and that's what you did so it's so true. well done you're an example that you don't have to like have it all figured out from day one yeah. you know if there's something that's in your heart to do it you follow that calling and, and you figure it out i mean it's so true. We don't start out knowing how to do things. We learn. We learn because because we decide that we're capable. If we didn't believe that something was possible for us, we wouldn't even attempt it. It's true. And I want to give you credit, too, for the insight. You know, you spoke exactly what I tried to communicate in the book, which is um, there's opportunities for people who, who aren't fathers themselves to learn and, and to gain some insight into the people they love and to um, understand them more and then also to, you know, help them heal, even if it's just in saying, you know, I understand you a little bit more now. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of power to heal in knowing that someone understands you. So my wife is the perfect example. She and I come from incredibly different backgrounds. She was raised in upstate New York by two loving parents who've been married for 30 years and he's an engineer and she's a nurse and, you know, white picket fence and send their kids to college and the things that we aspire to do for our children. But it was such a different environment that we grew up in. It was like when we met in college, for all intents and purposes, we were raised in, in different worlds, right? We might as well have been raised on different planets um, externally. Internally, we had a lot of the same values not because of the way we were raised, we express those values differently, but those underlying values are what connected us and have allowed us to build this healthy and happy home together. We're actually going to celebrate 20 years of marriage in July of this year. But congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's a milestone. It is for sure. <laughs> but to bring it back to my point, um, her listening and understanding what I've what I've gone through her letting me talk myself through situations has really allowed me to grow and evolve. It's really um, fast-tracked my personal growth and development instead of her saying, I, I don't get it and I don't care to understand. Her over the years letting me work through scenarios and talk through situa situations 
because she wanted to understand me, allowed me to understand myself better, which allowed me to grow out of the limited mindset that I had and move into the person that I am now. Mm -hmm. Not to say that I've arrived because we all have work to do, but um, you know, things are better now than they've ever been and I'm looking forward to them continuing to ascend. Yeah, you know, that makes me think about what other people perceive in us, what other people label on us or recognize in us um, has a lot to do with sort of our space for growth. It makes it a lot easier to sort of grow into whatever is natural for you when someone hasn't pegged you into a box that like this is who you are and, and this it's is true. how you're supposed to behave and this is what I expect from you that um, especially in a marriage, right? Mm -hmm. If you can sort of open that up a little bit enough to just like be curious about your partner. I think you can spend a lifetime with someone and you're never going to know them fully because there's so much that goes on in our internal landscape, in our conditioning, in our minds, in our private thoughts that is so unique that nobody's ever really going to, I mean, how often do we even understand ourselves, right? Um, but That's we, true. That's what I, that's exactly what I was thinking when you yeah. were saying that. I'm like we're still trying to figure ourselves out, let alone someone else. You're exactly yeah. right. But but we think we know other people. We think we're like, oh, this person is that, and this person right. is that. But it's really our relationship with that person exists only in our mind, and it's so true. that's not really that's not really the truth of who they are. That's sort of a limited. That's a one one sided perspective of a multifaceted, multifaceted being. Um, so what inspired you to write this book? Who did you write it for? Well, um, <clears throat> I wrote it, I wrote it for the earlier version of me, right? <laughs> I wrote it for, um, people who needed to, uh, learn the lessons that I've learned, but I tried to take some of the learning curve out of it and fast pace it for them. So, um, like I said, I've been with my wife for, we've been together over 20 years, we'll have been married 20 years in July. Um, there's been a lot of slow, painstaking growth, a lot of making mistakes, um, a lot of learning things the hard way, a lot of following dead ends and beating your head against the wall until you realize this is a dead end and then committing to the growth that it takes to get on a new path. So what I've tried to do now is the world is speeding up um, I've tried to take all those lessons and put them in, a, in an easily digestible book with actionable steps that will allow somebody to say, okay, I don't have to take all those long roads. I can start to build my healthy and happy home now. And what, you know, I'm at the age now, I'm 44, where a lot of my peers are divorced or they have strained relationship with strained relationships with their children. Um, and they're starting to learn some of the lessons where they go, oh man, I wish I knew that 10 years ago or 15 years ago or five years ago. So in the army, I was a first lieutenant. So I was second in command of a battery that had about 115 men in it. And one thing I learned in the military is, you know, when you come from a toxic environment like I did, I thought early in my military career that leadership or being in charge of somebody meant, um, dictating to them. It meant I'm in charge and you have to freaking do what I say because I have the rank and I'm in charge. Um, fortunately, through some of the great leaders that I was exposed to in the military, what I learned is that leadership is actually caring for the people 
that you're supposed to be in charge of. It's really an attitude of service to those people. It's not an attitude of those people should be in service to me. And you could imagine how much of a 180 that is. That's that's such a paradigm shift. It's life altering, right? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that theme is echoed a lot throughout the book when I'm trying to help men who come from toxic environments understand that true leadership to your family is service to your family and what that looks like and how you can operate in that spirit in a way that's strong and healthy and mentally and emotionally supportive of your wife, of your children in a way that may sound foreign to them at first. But um, I feel like I have the cachet and the credibility that they understand that I'm not some person from some fairy tale world telling them a way that things should be. I'm a person who's walked in their shoes and has learned the hard way and fortunately figured things out before my family derailed. And um, if they take these lessons and apply even a little bit of it, it'll help them get a head start on, you know, putting their family in the best position possible. It sounds like your wife was a big motivator in shifting the way that you think about things because you wanted it to work, right? For sure. Because it'd be easier not to change. It'd be easier not to not to figure that out or or uncover what what walls you're bumping into or what is this problem or or maybe not take responsibility for drama in the relationship and just be like, this isn't working. Yeah, which embarrassingly enough, um, in full disclosure, I, you know, like I said, it's been 20 years. Some of these revelations came upon relatively recently in that in that big, long 20 year span where I would go, you know what? I do blame you for this or that. And it's, and I understand why I do it. I, I blame you out of a place of insecurity within myself or fragile ego, where I can't address that I did something wrong. And I really am doing the work of looking at myself and reflecting and understanding where those kind of negative traits started. And it's so freeing and so empowering. Um, I feel like I would be doing a disservice to other people who could potentially learn from those lessons if I don't share them. You know what I mean? I even tell mm-hmm. a story early in the in the book about my uh, a particular incident I, I had in the military. Um, I won't retell the whole story, but long story short, I took care of myself in a situation where everybody else was struggling. And I thought that the drill sergeants who were in charge of running boot camp would look positively on me. They, they thought I would I thought I would stand out like I got a particular task done when no one else could. But instead, they really berated me because they looked at it as I had the opportunity, the understanding, the insight in this particular instance to help the people around me who needed it. And I did not. I thought that I would look better if I succeeded and they did not. Mm -hmm. And that is the exact attitude that will cost lives in the military. And so I'm so appreciative of that lesson. And I take it with me every day. And um, this book is is written in that spirit. Right. If I leave people back home where I came from who could potentially gain from this message and I just keep it because why well, go, well, my life's good. <laughs> um, I, I just that I can't I couldn't live with myself. Yeah. You learned it. You knew how hard it was to get to the point of understanding that you want to give give people kind of a, a quicker road to, to get there and save themselves yeah. some of the some of the heartbreak, really, because some of the heartbreak for sure. Yeah. I mean, relationships are tough. I, and I feel like the, yep. the blessing of relationship is that that's our best opportunity for growth. That's where we figure out um, 
where our sticky spots are, where we need healing. We get triggered by things and we're like, if you're aware enough, you can go, whoa, I just got triggered. It may not be what you just said that's making me as mad as I feel right now. Maybe there's something else that's sort of tied up um, with that. So it's a great opportunity to really learn about ourselves and, and grow. But I understand. I mean, I understand people who are like, ah, I just want to be on an island. I just want to be alone because because it sounds easier. Um, yeah. But life, how lonely would we be? How unfulfilling <laughs> would that? I mean, yeah, you could live with all of your neuroses and your issues and your unhealed bits, but you're never really going to be happy unless you can figure out, yep. I think, how to be in relationship with others. And it's not necessarily one person for the rest of your life, but I think having that ability to connect uh, on a real level, and I know that's something that you you talk about a lot. Um, one of the themes in your book was the three primal energies. Can you tell us what those yes, are? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, in this long road of from... Um, you know, I talk, first of all, I want to say the book is, there's a lot of humor in the book. <laughs> uh, it may sound like it's this, um, you know, super incredibly serious thing. And these situations are serious, but there's a lot of humor in this book. And I address a lot of these situations with a lot of levity. So um, starting from my early environment where, you know, race played an early role in my personal development. Um, I come from a, a mixed background. My mother is white. My father is black. So even today in 2021, that can raise eyebrows or cause certain people to feel a certain type of way. And yeah, I remember this was 1977 in Ohio. So you can imagine the um, social pressures and stresses that were put upon a kid, a mixed kid for, with unmarried parents and all these things happening. Um, so I, I learned to deal with a lot of that stuff through humor and if you get this book, don't be surprised that some of the some of the humor and some of the jokes that are in there. But um, I think they can see that from you already. <laughs> There's some levity here, folks. Yeah. So before I really started my path to healing and, and figuring out how to um, navigate my feelings and emotions, I was doing what a lot of teenagers do. I was emotionally too undeveloped to understand what I was doing or understand what I was feeling. And when that happens to us, we're often driven by parts of ourselves that we don't even understand. And for men, that's especially important. Um, oftentimes we, we're told to, to toughen up, to close off, to, you know, stop acting like a, a whatever you, you know, insert your insult there. And oftentimes that leads to men being driven by parts of ourselves that we don't understand. Fortunately, this may sound crazy, but fortunately for me, I was so injured emotionally early in life that by the time I was 15, I, I totally derailed. I committed a, a terrible crime. I got sent to a juvenile prison. So early in my life, um, right now it would be, it would sound great to say, oh, I came to this point of understanding through, um, you know, uh, consistent, uh, uh, aspirations to ascend, but I was really just intolerably miserable. I was hurting. Um, and my life was in the balance. Um, I committed a crime at 15 years old. I was three months away from being 16. Had I been 16 at that time with the same crime, I would have been sentenced to adult prison and my life would have been, 
you know, for all intents and purposes, ruined. But because I was a juvenile, I was sent to a juvenile prison. My mother lobbied on my behalf. And eventually, after some time in the juvenile prison, my record was expunged and I was basically given another chance. Um, so from that point forward, I was dedicated to figuring out what is happening within me and how can I get it under control? Like, what is driving me? And over years of introspection and trying a bunch of different things and uh, being really physical about things and joining the army and going to war and then spending years in the military, then spending years leaning another way where I was just reading different things and really spending a lot of time in my thoughts and then having another period of life where I was spending years just meditating and praying and being introspective, I really understood that I figured out that really there were three separate primal energies that were driving me in my life. And when I started to reflect on it, they'd always been there. And these are the three primal energies that I talk about in the book. And the more I talk to people, I realize these are three primal energies that typically resonate with just about anybody, man, woman, whoever. And they are, <clears throat> as you can see in the book behind me there, they're represented by these three rings. So the red ring is what I call the warrior energy. And this is your want and your ability to fight. And the blue ring is your intellectual energy. This is your want and your ability to understand things, to um, conceptualize things, to put pieces together, to see things and infer information from that. Ah, I know this happened, this happened, so I know that's going to happen. And oftentimes when you come from trauma, <clears throat> the ability to do that is life and death. The ability to say, uh-oh, one of my parents is doing this, the other one's doing that, I know what's going to happen next, right? And if you don't know, you could learn uh, a very painful lesson. And the last one is uh, the spiritual energy, you know? <clears throat> Dr. Wayne Dyer calls it source energy. Um, different people get their spiritual energy. I call it your spiritual energy bucket. Different people get their spiritual energy bucket filled by religion for some people, nature by some people, art by some people. Um, however you get it filled, it doesn't matter. It's the recognition that there are these three parts of yourself, your warrior energy, your intellectual energy, and your spiritual energy. And it's really then learning how to balance those energies in a way that serves your family and allows you to grow and facilitates a healthy balance of those energies within your family members. It's not just me being balanced myself. It's understanding how is my wife? She, how can I help her stay balanced? How can I help my son stay balanced? How can I help my daughter stay balanced? And it's really carrying that attitude of service within those energies to the people you love. I love how you talk about leadership um, as being a position of service because you're right. It is such a paradigm shift and, and it absolutely applies to fatherhood or motherhood, um, but it also applies to running a business or the workplace. Yeah, yeah really being in charge anywhere that I think too many people walk into that as like, now I'm important, right? They come in with this self-importance and this is my position. And maybe they had looked at the people with envy, looked at the authority figures with envy and be, being like, someday I'm going to be in charge, right? Right. And then maybe they get that opportunity and they get there and they're like, now you're going to respect me. Now you're going to yeah. do what I say, right? Because yeah. I'm the father now or I'm the boss now or whatever it mm -hmm. is. But when you do that, 
you lose all your loyalty, you break people down, things fall apart, the family doesn't function well, the business loses money, you know, like, it's just not, it's not a way that it, it reminds me a lot of the Tao Te Ching, which talks so much about leadership. I don't know if you've read uh, the Tao Te Ching. I have. Okay, of course you have, um, <laughs> because it fits right in line with this. Um, and obviously Wayne Dyer was, was um, someone who taught the Tao Te Ching to us in his book, Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. Sound familiar? Um, but it's this, it's this sense of leadership coming from a place of love, coming from a place of caring about others, that you're not um, pushing responsibility onto others, but you're actually taking responsibility for their well-being. And that making sure everybody, everybody has um, what they need. Uh, are you a BSG fan? BSG? Familiarize me? Yeah. Battlestar Galactica? I'm familiar. I'm familiar with it, but <laughs> it's sci-fi. Well, there's the no. the the captain. Okay. Um, captain Adama. I feel like I don't know why he just came to mind, but he did. I haven't watched that show in years. Um, if you're a sci-fi fan, you've probably already seen it. But um, Captain Adama, he was he was sort of an, an unusual leader, but he had that. He had it's like it's like he took the weight of making sure everybody was okay and taking sort of the uh, the pain that comes from the responsibility of making decisions for others. And and he held that and he held that up so that everybody else could could have what they need and function and, and lead others. Um, so I think that you really touched on something that's key there. Um, something throughout your book, which, which I got to say, it reads both as a memoir and is like a manual for life. And it's incredibly comprehensive. Um, I think it is of, of real benefit to men who are really, like you said, trying to figure out what their motivations are or why do I feel this way? And, and maybe looking for that balance in their life. And you, you give a lot of great, um, great advice. Actually, I saw on your Facebook page that you were going to build a course to go along with the book. Is that true? It's true. Um, I'm still a long way away from the course being completed, so I don't want to overpromise on exactly what it will entail. But I am building a course, um, at least one, potentially more than one. Um, you know, p different people learn in different ways. Uh, when you and I were speaking before we started recording, I told you to ask a person to read a book in this day and age is like it's a monumental ask. Um, especially for the That's younger. That's sad. Well, there, there are a lot of people who read a lot of books, but there's a lot of people who are very hesitant or, there are. or just get so caught up or, or we fall into the social media hole and then we lose our evening where we could have been reading it's a true. book, right? I've had more than one person tell me, I took it as a compliment, but it was also a little jarring. I've had more than one person tell me your book was the first book that I've ever read since, you know, school. That I've, that I've not been assigned. So again, for people who are avid readers, that may sound, um, we can get on our, we could stand on our lofty perch and go, oh, well, these people, oh, no. right? But not you and I, but other people. <laughs> um, I get it. I totally get with, it. Within keeping the same spirit of, of, of genuine leadership, um, it caused me to go, okay, well, how can I help get this message to somebody who is not going to sit down and read a whole book, right? There's an audio book, but for some people, if I just, I want to make sure that 
I can get this information, be it this, this specific book or um, any other course that I create that's kind of along the same line as this book. I want to make sure I can get it to people in a digestible way where if they go, hey, I best learn through a series of um, 25 minute videos that I can watch at a short and, you know, a one a one a day or however it works, however I decide ultimately, however uh, my potential viewers tell me is the best way. Um, I want to make sure that I can do that and facilitate that rather than go, well, if you don't read the book, then I guess you just don't read it. Well, I know it's in the early development, and so I hesitate to throw that out there, but <laughs> I wanted to say I'm completely behind you on that. I think it's a wonderful idea. I think Thank that, you. Um, you know, the there's so much detail in your book. It's so comprehensive. Like I said, that um, I think that a course is really a perfect way to either introduce somebody to it or to help them apply it to their own individual lives. Because right. a lot of people are going to read this and they're going to get it conceptually. They're going to go, yes, okay, I get it. But then you're done with the book and you put it down and you run into issues in your real life. And so I think having something a little more interactive um, is a great follow-up for that. So yeah, whenever you get it done, no Thank rush. You. Whenever you get it done, yeah. um, <laughs> share it in the group. Let us Trust know about me. it. it took... <laughs> I will. It took me so long. You should have, this is like personal inside stuff. It took me so long to finish this book. There were parts in this book that I started writing in 2003. Mm. I didn't even have any kids in 2003. It wasn't about that. Yeah. It's, it was about the healing. It was about facing the, the real issues from our past. It was about, you know, looking at yourself and being fully honest with yourself in the areas that you need to grow. And so over the years, the writing evolved and evolved and evolved. And eventually when I, about three years ago, I understood, okay, this is the book. I understand what it's going to be. And I pulled out all this writing from all these different phases up to that point and went, okay, this is going to go here. This is going to go here. Now the good news is you understand exactly what the book's going to be. The bad news is you kind of have to rewrite it all in a way that's cohesive and makes sense. Um, so anyway, my family's been on board with me this whole time. I'm not smart enough to go into the room and just write and write and write and then come out and go crack my knuckles and go, okay, that's on the shelf until tomorrow. Right. We're eating dinner and I'm like, oh, well, what about this? <laughs> and we're out at the park and I'm like, oh, well, kind of like this. And I'm drawing diagrams in the sand and like I just have to bring it with me everywhere because it just, you know, it's in, I'm inspired. I'm, I'm in the spirit of it. And so God bless them. My family has been with me the whole time and they listen and they listen. And my wife falls asleep listening and she goes, <laughs> no, I think that'll probably work. So finally, in October of 2020, the book came out. It's out. It's getting great reviews. Mm -hmm. It just won a literary Titan award. Everybody's, you know, we're relieved. We're in celebration mode all through the holidays. And recently I go, Hey, so let me show you guys this notebook. I have an idea for this course and I have all <laughs> oh, these no. diagrams all over it. And they go, no, <laughs> no, we literally cannot do this with you. So we had to have an honest conversation about like, what's going to be their role in my development of the course moving forward because I get it. <laughs> I'm going to have to smarten up and be able to just kind of go, not that they don't support it, obviously, but 
I can't bring them along every step of the way. Well, it's hard to come compartmentalize life especially in a creative project because it's like when inspiration strikes you like you you can't always go looking for an idea sometimes it's got to find you and uh yeah yeah (laughs) thank you for sharing that journey that's really interesting yeah for sure i can't tell you how many times i woke up at 3 30 in the morning and said i'm gonna i have a great idea and i would go i'll just remember it i don't want to get up and turn the light on and then in the morning, I'm like, gosh, what was that? So I stopped doing that. So it was, it's been years of getting up at 3.30 if something comes and jotting it down and respecting it and honoring it and realizing that it's a gift and I can't turn my back on it. So here's my wife at four in the morning, like, dude, you're writing? <laughs> yeah. She's like, you're writing? You have to get up in an hour and doing? go to work. Go back I'm to like, sleep. I'll, I'll forget. So yeah, now that's right. So now the idea of creating something else is... Or the morning breeze has secrets to tell you do not go back to sleep. And when I'm hearing you talk about this experience of writing, um, I don't think it's actually that unusual. You know, uh, Dr. Dyer talked about, um, well, he would wake up at 313 in the hmm. morning, and he did most of his writing at that time. And he learned to just sort of honor that and accept it and go with it. And I think he probably had so many people pulling on his time throughout yeah. the day. And he had eight kids, yeah. too, right? That's crazy. I hear he was always on the phone, right? So you can imagine most of his day was probably very distracted, very bit busy, things going on. He would carve out time to go for a walk and a swim every night on, on Hawaii at sunset. But, you know, he would do his writing early in the morning, and I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, in fact, when he talked to Esther Hicks, who was channeling Abraham, sure. um, if you've heard that conversation, it's one of my favorite. Sure. And he said, what is it? What is it that's waking me up at 3.13 in the morning? And she said, well, spirit is always talking to you. So why are you listening at 3.13 in the morning? You know, not to be like, not to be like, you know, smart about it or whatever. But, but, but there's a reason why it's like, ah, now you're in the receptive mode. Now you can, now you can get it. And, you know, he knew, he knew for years he wanted to write a book for the general audience. Mm. He knew it. He was collecting notes, just like you did. He was collecting notes, and he was recording his lectures that he was giving at the school because he's like, you know what, these might come in handy. He had, you know, boxes of them tucked away. But um, it just, it didn't come until he forgave his father. Hmm. And then all of a sudden, he wrote Euronia Zones in two weeks. And it's one of the best-selling books of all time. And it's like, you can't force it. You know, it just happens. And then I remember him talking especially, um, because you talk about how it impacts your family. I mean, you can imagine. First of all, he had to be on on the road quite a bit. So his wife, I'm sure, took a lot of the the parenting um, solo. Um, While he was working, he was following his dharma, right? He had big work to do. But I remember him talking specifically about uh, what's basically his memoir, which is um, I Can See Clearly Now. And he had said he was done writing, right? He told his kids one day, I think it was his birthday, he said, I'm done writing, I got nothing to prove, I have 40-something books, I don't need any more. The very next morning, he wakes up and he starts writing and he can't stop. And he had his, his, his yearly trip with his kids, his kids and their kids, the grandkids, right, were coming. They stayed in his condo. They stayed in his writing space. They filled up everything and he couldn't stop writing. He couldn't stop it. It's like it just had to come. So he had to find another place to rent 
which was like the peak season in Hawaii, which is really hard to do, and basically miss out on that whole vacation with his family. Wow. Because it had to come through him. And this wasn't a new writer that was trying to prove something. This wasn't a new guy on the scene like, can I really do this? Oh, right. I better put it down. No, it was just that. That's how it comes through you. And, comes and through. I think when we do something creative, when I get a project in my head, and yeah. sometimes it's like a home improvement thing or whatever, but when I get a project, sometimes it just it just takes me with it, right? Yeah. There's just this momentum. You got to go and with it. my family kind of gets... <laughs> My family gets carried through the process. God bless them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not always what they want to be, what they want to be doing. But, um, yeah, I mean, when yeah. inspiration strikes, it's like, and I think if you're tuned in, like, there's a right time. There's a time for everything. Yeah. And, and when the time is right, like, it just, it just kind of happens. But, yeah, it's a struggle. You got to, you got to figure out how to, like, try to carve out space for your work and try to carve out space for your family. Um to That's have true. that ever elusive balance that you talk about, right? That's and get in the, the golden zone, That's I right. think is how you put it. That's right. It's that perfect balance of your healthy warrior, healthy intellectual, and healthy spiritual energy. Um, but the one thing that I will say about my children seeing me go through this process, and if you read the book, you'll understand that my wife is a fantastic muralist and sign painter. And so she's started her own business and now is the owner operator of her own very successful business. So, um, that is her version of what I'm doing. So she is um, constantly working. Yeah. She is a hard, she's the hardest working person that I've ever met. And um, I support her as, in every aspect of it, um, as do our children. And I feel like it's incredibly important for me as we have a boy and a girl to see both of their parents um, doing what they feel called to do, chasing their dreams, working incredibly hard, and, um, you know, not only for them to see us doing it, but for them, <clears throat> my son, it's important for that he see how a father and husband should treat uh, um, his wife and their children, right? So, like, he sees me supporting her. He, he sees me encouraging her dreams. And this isn't the romanticized stuff where I say, baby, just go chase your dreams, Okay, well, what does that look like on a real day-to-day -day basis within our home? Okay, that may mean that right. I have to do the children's laundry, that I have to do the grocery shopping, mm -hmm. that we have to divvy up responsibilities differently, that um, we have to, you know, adapt and adjust and flow. And sometimes we had planned for this dinner and she stayed out late and we made sandwiches instead. Like, And, and it's doing all that. With a, with a real genuine spirit of support and encouragement because trust me, you know, you're a woman, you know, women are very intuitive and it's very easy to say things, to say things, but the energy behind it isn't genuine to say, oh, that's okay. But the energy behind it is not genuine. We know go, if you mean it, <laughs> you know, or to go, oh, it's okay. Uh, oh, I did the laundry. It's okay. But the spirit behind it is you're neglecting what's happening here at home, right? So it's incredibly important. I take very much pride in my son seeing that and then also my daughter seeing that. So that's been her normal for as long as I can remember. So my hope is, um, you know, they're, they're their own people and when they grow up, they'll make their own decisions. My hope is she'll have such mm -hmm. a good, solid understanding of what feels healthy and natural that in her personal adult life, should she be in a situation that does not feel like that, she can recognize it and go, I know what healthy support feels like, and this is not it. 
and she can, you know, remove herself from that situation. Yeah. Well, you're setting the bar for your kids. I hope so. Both of you are right. You're setting the bar and, and they, they say that, you know, uh, uh, a daughter, um, looks for the same qualities in her husband as she saw in her father. Um, I don't think we necessarily look for the same person or the same type of person, but I think there's an expectation of value. There's an expectation of what is this person bringing to the table um, that really carries over. My dad was amazing, and um, I feel like he modeled that for me in a way that I didn't even realize it was happening, but it's like um, he showed me what a father and a husband could be. Um, and I, I have an amazing partner in my life. And so what you said is really, is really heartwarming. And it's also really encouraging to me personally, because I have this feeling like, um, I'm not sure where it comes from. Maybe it's just like some really traditional viewpoint, but that I should be putting all of my time and energy into the kids. I mean, they're so young. But even if they weren't, maybe I'd feel that way too. And that and that any time that I work on something outside of them, particularly something that's not necessary for our survival, right. <clears throat> like this podcast, yeah. um, there's this there's this piece of me that goes, wow, like you should just be focusing on the kids. Right. You should just go play a game with the kids. You should do this or that. But there's a life balance. Absolutely. And then I think, I don't want my daughter to grow up thinking that she can't pursue her dreams yep. or that she can't have something that's her own because she might be a mother or because she's a woman and women have, I don't know, certain expectations placed on them. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah, it's funny. I talk about that exactly in the book. There's a part of the book where I'm lobbying specifically to women readers and I'm telling them, I'm, I'm begging with them, I'm pleading with them not to totally sacrifice and forego their own individuality for the sake of their family. There's this romanticized and, in my opinion, misguided notion that uh, a woman should totally forego herself in order to prove that she is loved, that she loves and is loyal to her family. But I feel like that is a recipe for disaster because if you totally lose yourself then you have you can't give your family the one thing that is truly you which is yourself right you can't love your family so much that you lose yourself it seems like that might be the loving thing to do but that's not what your family needs that's not what your children need and that's not what your spouse if he genuinely is interested in your personal growth and development that can't be what he wants or needs either And nobody sacrifices themselves for their family like Mm -hmm. women do. You guys are amazing for it. Um, (laughs) But and I love how much you love and support and care for your families. Uh, We need you, but we need you to keep yourself yourself too, right? You have to do it. There's a whole part about fanning her flames where I'm trying to help men understand. Do not let your woman totally give herself away because oftentimes that's the same thing that leads to resentment later on and or it leads to a separation where where the kids go away and you look at each other and go i don't even know you i wanted to do x or y or z just like you said there has to be a balance there has to be and if you're leading your family from a genuine place of wanting to see them exercise their their warrior their intellectual and their spiritual energies you'll see Hmm, she's got some fight in her here. You wanting to do this in this competitive market, in, in this, um, in this 
you know, arena, this is an absolute display of warrior energy. When you're like, I got to get out there and I got to make something and it's a grind and I got to work on my getting it better. And that's absolutely warrior energy. And uh, kudos to your husband for understanding that. Um, you know, you want to have smart conversations is absolutely an, an expression of your intellectual energy and you having this entire thing based around the teachings of somebody who's filled your spiritual bucket for so many years. It absolutely aligns with your uh, with your spiritual energy. And when you're here, you're in the golden zone. I can tell from watch listening to your previous podcasts and I can tell from the way you conduct yourself and hear how you talk about this, what we're doing right here. And um if you didn't have this in your life, you wouldn't be fully you. And we need you. And we love mm. you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I hear you. And that part in the book spoke to me too. And I like, I, I was actually surprised to find that piece in me that says, just put 100% into the kids and the house and don't do anything else. Yeah. Because I think of myself as pretty progressive. You know, like yeah. I grew up thinking that women can do anything a man can do. I didn't think there was a big difference between girls and boys. Um, as a mother, I've, <laughs> I realized there are probably more differences <laughs> than I realized um, when I was a kid. But, but that doesn't mean that we, that we can't have um, the same potential or the same opportunities. Right. Um, it's funny because I remember when I was a little girl, it's just an example of, I, I grew up pretty progressive, right? I had this construction set. I was probably like seven or eight years old or something. Okay. I had this construction set and I set it up in the driveway with my dolls and I made signs that said women at work. <laughs> and <laughs> it was so funny. And my dad came home and he couldn't get down the driveway because yeah. like it was like these big pieces and I had I put like the cones and everything. And I was like, oh yeah, women at work. Yeah, man. They're they're doing some work on the road, Dad. <laughs> like that's just how it is. You got a problem with but, that, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> but there's something <laughs> Well, he had three daughters. I gotta tell you, he oh, was wow. surrounded by women. Wow. And uh, so his perspective about gender roles changed a lot over the years it changed a lot i, I mean especially in my parents generation right it was different they got married in the 60s that's right late 69 i think was the year they got married yeah wow. so um but still when i became a mother there's there's i think there you know i want to say there's something primal about our our protectiveness there's almost an obsession around yeah. the children that it's really easy to sort of just keep your focus there i get it but then you do lose yourself i get it and and that that's such the cliche i didn't think it would happen to me but it kind of did yeah. and then um yeah i find myself doing this and and you nailed it you nailed it yeah. like i do absolutely feel in the zone i do absolutely yeah. feel on purpose yeah. i feel inspired i feel lit up i feel energized by these conversations right. i feel like i'm i'm connected to what's at the deepest part of my passions and that was ignited by what i learned from wayne dyer and that was ignited by what he learned from the people that he studied with yep. and it's just this cycle that yep. that can continue and i want my kids to grow up they may not know now, like, oh, mom's off recording, whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's got a podcast. They want to do their own stuff now, by the way. But uh, and they're so little. They're so cute. I should let them. But, um, you know, they're going to think back and they'll be like, oh, yeah, remember when mom used to work with tarot cards? Yeah. Right? Or, like, remember when mom, like, used to um, 
do those videos. We didn't really know what she was doing, yeah. right? But that it might open some doors for them about about what they think is possible. Absolutely. So, yeah, warrior, intellectual, spiritual. Absolutely. Like, you know, and we talk about from um, from the warrior to the sage. That I think that was from Carl Jung, where there's this this sort of transition. It's not necessarily related to a specific age, though. Hmm. I got to say, but it's more like you get to this point where you start thinking about others more, but you can't lose yourself. It's You're true. absolutely right. You can't lose yourself. Yeah. So. What a great spokesperson you are for women, for men who are finding their way regardless of their background, and for the value of relationship. Because I think it's really easy if you find something hard to be like, screw it. I didn't want it anyway. Yep. It's not working. Mm -hmm. Or like, oh, women are all terrible. Mm -hmm. You know, it's easy to say that as a sort of excuse not to have to work through it. It's true. And the reality is, and you'll understand this, I'm trying to get my readers to understand this. The reality is oftentimes, the you know, the troubles we face in relationships are a reflection of troubles that we have within ourselves that we haven't yet faced and healed. 100%. And, um, you know, I want to let guys know that for you to talk about these things, um, it doesn't make you soft. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you any of the negative stereotypes that you may have associated with it. Uh, trust me, I played sports forever. So I, I, um, I heard all the names that when guys would talk about feelings or emotions or what have you, and this book isn't super sappy in that way. I try to just create a space because women are fantastic at creating spaces for emotional support for each other. Um, things of that nature. Um, <laughs> guys, you know, we, we call each other names and punch each other and that's it. And um, I'm kind of a, I don't know, I, I'm kind of like a hybrid in that regard where the book talks about dealing with emotional trauma. It talks about dealing with, um, you know, mental injuries that we never quite healed from, but it does it in a way where even, you know, the dudeliest dude isn't going to feel like, oh my God, this guy is just, he's just sappy. You know what I mean? Because yeah. again, my my genuine interest is, um, is serving people and serving my readers and making sure that these guys, the guys that I was with in the army, the guys that I was with when I played sports, that these guys understand that, man, I have your back. And, um, if you want to have a push up competition or a running competition or bench press, whatever you want to do, we can do that too. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We, I can warrior with you, but man, you also have to do the hard work of like looking at the stuff that you didn't want to look at. So that way you don't pass it down to your family because, if we don't address these issues, they will pass down to our family. And it's all about making sure that we stop generational scars. Mm -hmm. We stop the cycle of, of family dysfunction. That's so true. Um, healing the wounds of generational trauma. And I feel like the the generation that we're in now, the people that are here today are 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 digging deep in a lot of that. There's a lot of people that for whatever reason are, are ready to face that and, and don't want to carry it on. It's like the buck stops here. And, and, uh, you know, your, your proof, uh, for these guys that are listening that you don't have to be emasculated in order to address your feelings in order to look at, you know, what it is that you really think and, and you really feel. And it's, it's not about being somebody other than who you are. It's about finding the truth of who you are and honoring all facets of your being. And yeah. 
it's true. <clears throat> and, you know, I feel like the human species is evolving. So therefore, our relationships are evolving. Um, you know, what we accept socially and what we no longer accept socially is evolving. So therefore, we have to keep doing the work as as men and as leaders within our family. We have to keep doing the mental and emotional work of making sure we're on point. In the past, mm -hmm. for example, in the past, a few generations ago, um, divorce was... Uh, it was it was less socially acceptable, right? <clears throat> Therefore, you know, there are a lot of social factors around that. Women worked outside the home less, so they often felt financially trapped in situations and unhealthy and unhappy yeah. homes. Um, social, socially, divorce was really frowned upon. Yeah, but it was more acceptable yeah. for abuse. It was more acceptable for infidelity. I think exactly. the, the standards are a little bit different for what we expect, so... Exactly. Financial abuse. So therefore, the men didn't have to be mentally and emotionally healthy leaders within their home. As long as they, you know, back in those days brought home a check. Yeah. She couldn't, you know, she didn't have that much to say. So oftentimes now we look back on the past with rose colored glasses and we go, ah, oh, back then marriage was so much better. And they, it? they <laughs> uh, was till death do us part. And we go, nah, not necessarily, man. We're just evolving. And now um, women are earning and women are oftentimes they're just as educated as men. They're earning just as much as men when they, you know, in certain sectors of the workforce, not to say that the wage gap isn't a real thing, but women are earning money. And, and also socially, it's become almost unacceptable for women to stay in unhealthy environments. So guys have to step their game up and we can't just rely on, well, I'm a guy. So whatever. Nah, bro, you're going to have to evolve mentally and emotionally. And, and honestly, it's not even about her potentially leaving. It's about leading your family the best you can and creating a situation for your children that they don't have to try to recover from when they're grown, right? We want to give them a launch pad. We want their childhood to be a, a launching pad for them to launch into their true calling in life, not one they have to spend 20-something years trying to recover from and figure out like, you know, a lot of us did. And you get what you give. You get what you give. What you bring to the table is what comes back to you. So, so you are receiving the benefits of a, a supportive, equal partnership and a close relationship with your children, which um, someone who's very authoritative and dominating isn't going to feel that. They aren't going to have that. And they're probably not going to have the respect of their children when they're grown either so you're fostering something like it's my true. my husband is very involved in in the day-to-day -day life we we share responsibilities around the house and with the kids and and he always has without question and because of that like he's so close with them like like i have heard a lot of other women say especially when they were babies or toddlers, right? When their kids were really little say, oh, the baby doesn't want him. The baby only wants me to hold them or the, the toddler always yeah. wants mommy. Well, because daddy wasn't there because daddy mm. wasn't changing the diapers yeah. and, and sitting on the floor with the toys and showing you some attention. And, um, but my kids, it's like, they're just as happy to spend time with dad or mom. And so I feel like I, I'm blessed that I have a supportive partner who, you know, treats this as a partnership, as a as an equal yeah. um, standing where we grow together. Um, but also, you know, the kids benefit and, and he benefits from that, that he's never going to feel a distance with them, right? 
I, they're always going to be close. I know that they are. So, so for guys who might think that this is That's all awesome. about giving, it's not, <laughs> it's about getting no. to. Yeah. Ironically. Yeah. yeah. You give and then you get, yeah. And I, I do want to say too, there's a lot of, um, I don't want to necessarily paint this as if guys are, um, have all these unhealthy traits and, and we need to, you know, we need to bend over backwards for the women who can do no wrong. <laughs> there are so many healing points that women have to face as well. Yeah. Right. And there's so many places for the ego to creep in, especially within the, the complex dynamics of relationships and parenting. There's so many places for toxic traits to creep in and, um, you know, this book, when it's really breaking down the toxic traits, um, it's it's so applicable. I've had so many women friends or, you know, readers reach out to me and say, hey, man, this really like hit a nerve and made me realize areas that I need to grow and change. Yeah. And it's allowed them to serve their families better as well. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you're in this um, like upward cycle where both of the parents, both of the spouses um, have each other's best interest in mind and they're both genuinely trying to you know, bring their best self to the family. There's unlimited love and there's unlimited potential that the family can achieve when you're genuinely caring and leaning on each other and helping each other. Um, that's the kind of the state of marriage that I think we all should aspire to. Oftentimes we dissolve into this, um, even subconscious kind of like tug of war, battle of power, mm -hmm you know, weird, resentful, unhealthy, wanting to win. And it may last, but it's not healthy yeah. and it's not happy. Yeah. And, and this book is really about, um, you know, creating a healthy mm -hmm. and happy home. Thank you for saying that, for balancing yeah. the field there, because it is really easy. There, there's a conversation yeah, that's sure. been going on for a long time about sort of men bashing, right? Like, especially when it comes to home life, like, he doesn't help and he's no good and whatever but relationships are 50 50 and sure. women have just as much trauma and just as much stuff that they're working through oh, we may be more um likely to communicate or to hold space for feelings but it doesn't mean that we're better at relationships it doesn't yeah it's true it goes both <laughs> ways it's true i also want to say i, I want to throw this in um the book is very inclusive to uh, you know the LGBTQ community as well. So oftentimes, people in this community have had to deal with, you know, the the dual dynamic of their own complex parent relationships, like how their parents related amongst each other, mm -hmm. and then also their own personal issues on top of it. And um, that's the perfect blind spot for a, a lot of their personal relationships to be sabotaged by things that they that they aren't even aware of dynamics from their home life that they aren't aware of that are sabotaging the way they're conducting themselves within their own relationship. So although I don't specify a lot of the points within the book to say, this is how this would be applicable in the LGBTQ community. I do say right. in the beginning, I explain exactly why this book would be helpful and how it's welcoming to them. And um, I've had people from that community reach out and thank me for what they've learned from the book as well, which makes me feel great. Well, thank you for writing the book. I, you know, I love is love. Man. I understand it was a long journey, and a, a lot went went into birthing this out into the world. And I think it's it's a conversation that needs to be had. Um, it's something that I think can point so many people in the direction of feeling better in their lives and having deeper connections with one another, and also 
you know, making things better for our kids and making things better for for the future that um, whatever we may have struggled with yeah. as children, we we always hope for better for the next generation. Now, we've been going through That's interesting right. times that have, I know, um, have caused a lot of separations and a lot of divorce and a lot of um, domestic abuse, um, substance abuse, with the pandemic, with the lockdowns, with us being not only put under pressure and under fear, but sort of shut indoors where we kind of, we we lose our connections to others, to the outside world, and we also lose, um, you know, those outlets that we had to like blow off steam or or just, you know, go, go out for the day. Like we can't really do that. Um, so I want to ask you both kind of on a personal level and also, um, sure. as sort of for your audience, like how has pandemic, how has this pandemic made family life more challenging? Well, you know, I was just reading some articles, uh, about the divorce rate and how the divorce is seeing a spike, domestic violence is seeing a spike, um, personally, I feel like it makes sense, right? I mean, intellectually, it makes sense. Um, personally within my home, things have only gotten better because, you know, it's another opportunity for me to learn myself at a deeper level. When I was telling my wife, um, that I was fully supportive of her and her business and her entrepreneurship. Well, when my job told me, um, you know, I work as an x-ray technologist. I take intraoperative x-rays for surgeons. So let's say a surgeon is giving your grandmother a new hip. Well, the surgeon needs x-rays during the surgery to make sure he's putting it in right. So I do that. Mm. Um, wow. But when my job told me, uh, hey, for the, next two, for the next two months, we don't need you to come to work. Because it's a great company, they still paid me close to my full salary. But um, they said, we don't need you to come to work. So that corresponded with my kid's school being shut down. So now it's daddy day kids like Mr. Blankenship, the teacher, right? My wife was still off painting. So then it was me getting up and teaching the kids every day or making sure that they were on their proper zoom classes or that they were tracking their homework and making sure that they were getting lunch and making sure they were getting some outside time and making sure that the house was taken care of. It was a good opportunity for me to make sure that I was practicing what I was preaching, right? I said that I supported her at every level, well, here's another opportunity. <laughs> Big one. Yeah. Here's another opportunity. Right. So although I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it was easy, I would say that I'm in the space now where when challenges arise, I genuinely uh, am appreciative of those challenges because I understand that there's something there for me to learn and there's a way for me to improve. And um, even, you know, when we had our problem logging in with Zoom, I was like, this is a perfect opportunity for me to um, you know, keep my cool and make sure that, I, you know, I'm not now, how ironic would it be if I was here to talk about a healthy balance of these energies? And then when something goes wrong, I'm, I'm flying off the handle and knocking stuff over. Right. Yeah. So for me, um, and for, I feel like people who are on this path of, of understanding and ascension, it's an opportunity. It was a, an op, a, a pretty strenuous opportunity for growth, but it was an opportunity for growth. And uh, we've gone through so many challenges together that we almost always come out of these things better than we went in. We come out closer yeah. and stronger than we went in. Um, and I feel like if people spend the time with this book, they can incorporate some of those philosophies and ideologies into their own life and really genuinely start to take those 
those hardships that they go through and, you know, turn them into valuable lessons. And I, I really outlined it in a way that's not too uh, pie in the sky. It's not too far out ideological. It's like, mm-hmm. this is exactly how you can do it. I understand why society's, you know, kind of struggled through this. Yeah. But, um, you know, fortunately in this house, everything's been okay. That's great. I, I think if you if you're in a relationship that <clears throat> was sort of on the edge already or that maybe you were surviving mm. because you weren't together all the time, but you really had sort of You're about to get exposed. Yeah, like <laughs> oh so it's coming together now. Like you either you either deal with it or you or it explodes. Yeah. And so um, you yeah. know, m- maybe this is just a, a time for some people to make the change that maybe needed to be made before and just yeah. hadn't. But um, yeah, communication is so key and and giving each other the space and, and the support. Um, yeah, it can be a great time. It can be a great time. It's true. I'm not sure how close we are to wrapping up. Before we go, I want to make sure that I tell you this. You talk about believing in divine timing. So I wrote this book forever. I sent it off to the editor. The editor wrote it, sent me an email back and said, listen, this book is great. You should be so proud. It's awesome. Here's the thing. (laughs) I'd make these couple changes. First, I'd take out 15,000 words, right? 15,000 words, not 1,500. 15,000. I'd rewrite chapter three and four. If you do, that'll change the way they're reflected in chapters eight, nine, 10, and 11. I'd condense chapters 12 and 14 and uh, you're on your way. Well, like I said, I'm not a writer. I'm just a dude who wrote a book. So for me to hear that, I was like, my heart got pulled out. I told Sarah, I said, if for me to do all the stuff they said to do, I would have to remember I'm writing this book in the evenings, on the weekends, here and piecing it together when I can. I said, for me to do that, I'd have to spend eight hours a day writing for two months straight. Mm -hmm. I'll never, I'll never be able to do that. (laughs) Coronavirus. My job literally called and said, don't come in for the next two months and we're going to pay you 70%. And I went, okay, Mm -hmm. I hear you. And that was it. And I finished it. And then we polished it up and came out that year, same year. Yeah. Divine timing for sure. If you haven't listened to my episode with unbelievable uh, Brandon Mangin, I don't remember what number that was, but I think it's called Sobriety Mental Health with Brandon Mangin. And he was uh, is promoting men's mental health and suicide prevention. He's in Australia. And uh, the the pandemic, the lockdown, um, they're not in lockdown in Australia anymore, um, but uh, they were in really strict lockdown for a while. And he's a he's a DJ. He's a successful DJ. He was touring and and all of that came to a stop. And that's where the sobriety comes into play, mm. right? It gave him an opportunity to make a different choice at a time where he felt like he couldn't keep doing what he was doing. So yeah, blessing in disguise more than likely. Wow. And and I it, it makes me wonder how many how many stories we'll end up hearing about transformations that happened during this year or or something that, that came from this time that we never could have anticipated. It's true. It's true, but you know what? It stems back to the power of choice too. 
we each have choice in our lives. Mm -hmm. So there are going to be a lot of people who say, yeah, things were good. And then the pandemic, blah, blah, blah. But it's, but in doing that, there are going to be a lot of people who gloss over the poor choices that they made during that time, right? If you're making excuses all the time, then then you can just say, oh, well, it's the pandemic or, oh, it's the economy or, oh, it's the whatever. And then you don't have to try. You don't have to find another way. You don't have to reinvent yourself. You don't have to, you know, address any of those things. If you're taking radical responsibility for your life, which is what, what Wayne Dyer encouraged us to do, it's really empowering. And if you don't, then you're going to bob along from one problem, problem to another. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one story that, that Dr. Wayne Dyer tells that often inspires me is he was telling the story about um, when he was offered tenureship. You'll probably know the story better than I do, but he was offered tenureship and he was driving to accept the position. And in his heart of hearts, he had his book that he wanted to go and take out into the world. But um he realized that if he accepted this position, although it was a prestigious position, he would probably be foregoing what, you know, he kind of felt tugging at his heart. And in the end, he decided to decline the position and take his book out into the world. And I thought about that just the other day because I met somebody at work and um, it was somebody who was a mentor of mine as I was going through the radiography program years ago. And, um, they said something. I know they meant no ill intent, but it, 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 I found it kind of funny. They said, Oh man, you're still doing this. Like I thought you would be trying to like climb up the management ranks and, you know, basically get tenureship. But, um, in my heart, I was never pursuing that. I've always been pursuing this. I've always had this, this in my heart that I want to take out into the world in the same spirit as Dr. Wayne Dyer. And, um, I think about that often. And, uh, it's time. I love that. What's the best way for people to reach you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Anthony Blankenship. You can go to my website, anthonyblankenship.com. Um, all books purchased from my website come personally signed. And I also want to say I have a great program called the First Generation Father Initiative. So if you're uh, someone who's listening and you feel like this book would be a, um, great for people, not necessarily you, you can donate to Readers in Need. I've donated books to people in prisons. I've donated books to people um, in impoverished positions. I've donated books to mothers who say, my son needs this, but right now I don't have the time or the, I don't have the means to pay for it. And if you donate a book in this particular way, you have the option of making sure that it's delivered to um, someone in prison, someone in the military, or uh, just kind of my choice, my discrepancy. And so I've had people read the book and then come back and say, I want to buy two more books for other people in need because they believe in the message that much. Mm-hmm. And all that's available at anthonyblankenship.com. That's great. Thank you for coming on. Thank, Thank you for, having for me. spending this time with me. I'm yeah. glad we were able to connect um, despite our connection issues. And I, I know you're going to reach some hearts today. And um, yeah, buy the book, get one for a friend. I think... Um, this can really help and it, and it can open your eyes to a different way of looking at how to balance your life, That's regardless true. of your background. Nadia, listen, you're a, be- you're a beautiful soul. 
thank you so much for having me. You're a beautiful soul. <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. Keep spreading positivity in the world. We need more people like you. And keep chasing your passion. Thank you. I will. Thank you. And for all our listeners, thank you for following Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life and telling your friends about it. If you'd like to connect with my guest today, you can find him at anthonyblankenship.com. The video version of this episode will also be available on my YouTube channel. You can get all the social media links and more details about this podcast at nadiadelacruz.com. Until next time, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Namaste. Namaste.